You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. There's a reason, moms and dads, leave their seats and come before us and dedicate a child at the altar. At the altar. It's at this place at the altar where things are dedicated to the Lord, where we meet the Lord, where significant things are accomplished. How many of you in this room have had a significant moment with Jesus at this altar? How many have dedicated a child here in this church? Would you raise your hand? Significant moment. How many were married in this church? Maybe all the way back in the orange carpet era. Raise your hand. You were married here. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Some people with some history raising their hands. That's powerful things at an altar. How many gave their life to Jesus in this church? at this altar, raise your hand, that this was where you gave your life to the Lord. Wow. How many have had some significant prayer time at the altar of God? Raise your hand. The altar is an important place. On Saturday, Saturday afternoon, the the young lady you saw in our video announcements will walk down this center aisle and be standing somewhere around here with her tall, intimidating father, Daryl Adams, <laughs> next to her, and a pastor from Lincoln, and I will be, be standing here on the stage, and in the seats uh, will be gathered a crowd of people to watch, and so you'll have the people gathered in the seats, and you'll have like you know, some pastors and a line of groomsmen and a line of bridesmaids, and, and the seats are important, and the stage, that's important, but it's what's going on right here at the altar that really matters. I mean, it's, it's good to sit in the seat during the wedding. It, it's, it's okay to be on the stage. You know, I, I'll have a role, I'll officiate some of the things, say a few words, but the attention isn't on me. In fact, the best weddings are the ones where you forget who the pastor was. That's never the point. The point is what happens at the altar. It's where vows are made to one another. Yes, absolutely. Before the seats and before the stage, of course. But it's at the altar the vows are made before God. It's at the altar where Uh, vows are exchanged, rings are exchanged, where the kiss is given, right? And it's where Daryl will say something like, you know, who gives this lady to be married to this man? And Daryl will say something to the effect of her mother and I, or I do, and Ethan will walk over and greet Paisley and take her, and Daryl will walk away and then hand Ethan the college bill, the car bill, the grocery (laughs) bill. 
Seats are good. It's good to attend. Stage is good. It's good to officiate, to be on a platform, to participate. But the altar is where the real work is done. Are we a people? Are we a people of seat and stage without the altar? Are we a people? Are you a person? Are we deeply vested in seat and stage? but possibly neglecting where the real work gets done. The altar. The altar. God, over the next few minutes, open our heart to what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. Where's the altar in your life? I'm not talking about a piece of furniture. You can have furniture, but no faithfulness, right? I'm not talking about decor. You can have decoration without dedication. Where's the altar? I'm not talking about Sunday morning at the end of the service where sinner becomes saint. Where's the altar? I'm not talking about just in a church. I'm not talking about just bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, come to the front. The altar in your life. Are we a people satisfied with seat and stage and the altar's role Diminished. The altar's where the real work gets done. Where's the altar in your life? It's not about Sundays at church. Church is not a building. Church is a people of God. Where's the altar in your Monday through Saturday life? Can you take me to the place in your home? Could you invite me into your living room and say, this is where I have my altar with God? When's the time of your altar through the week? Could you invite me over and say, if you come to my house at such and such a time, you will find me at an altar. If your altar has the initials initials HD, or 4K behind it, that's not the altar I'm talking about. If I have to put on a seat belt and be traveling down the highway listening to a sermon on the radio or a podcast or Christian music, that's not an altar. Where is your altar? It's a dangerous place for a person to be. It's a dangerous place for a church to be. If we are satisfied with seat and stage, 
but we have no practice of the altar. I'm not talking about Sunday morning event. I'm talking about your life. Your ongoing, every day, Monday, Thursday, Saturday. Do you have an altar? If we become a people of seat and stage, but no altar, we will miss out on what God really wants to do in our lives. Maybe it's a lack of knowledge. Maybe it's ignorance or just maybe misunderstanding. Maybe you think the altar is a place of religious symbol. It's where you go. It's where you have a moment where you kneel. You light a few candles. You say a few words. You sit there silently and wait. And you go through a a perfunctory performance and it's done. Maybe for you an altar is where, you know, an occasional pivotal moment in life happens There's a wedding, there's a baby dedication, there's a funeral, and you're at a front, you're there, the presence of God. Okay, it's an occasional thing on the landscape of a long history of life. Maybe you think an altar is just for the really big stuff in life. Like, if my life is in a really big mess, I need to go to the altar. You know, on Sundays we're there, seat and stage, and Two or three people may come up during worship and pray, and you're wondering, wow, I wonder what really bad thing's happening in their life. Yeah, I heard a rumor. I think he and his wife are not getting along very well. They're probably at the altar to pray through that. And that's what the altar's for. It's like the auto body shop of spiritual life, right? They got in a big bad accident, and they got to go to the body shop to get it fixed. So they're at the altar. Maybe it's ignorance. It's for the only religious pivotal moments it's the really big stuff it's how a pastor should end the sermon preach a really hard message everyone bow your heads close your eyes raise your hands and come to the front say a prayer because that's how Jesus led people back to faith and I think that's what an altar is for and if you don't need that then I don't need an altar maybe you think an altar is a piece of furniture since you don't have one in your home Where does an altar belong in my daily life? So maybe it's ignorance. Maybe it's neglect. You've settled into a routine. Sit in a seat, watch the stage, go home. Sit in a seat, stand up, sit down, listen to the stage, go home. And over and over, it's seat, stage, seat, stage, and that's all you've known for a long time. Maybe you're here today and you're running on spiritual inertia. There was an altar moment. A boom, a bang, an energy, a moment with God. And now you're just cruising on inertia. That one thing that happened six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, 16 years ago. And here you are just petering out, living life on spiritual inertia because you had that altar moment somewhere back there. So maybe it's neglect. Whether it's neglect or ignorance, may God help me, may God help you, may God help us. Seat is good, stage is good, but the altar is where things get done, where things get done. And it's true in your kitchen, in your bedroom, as you walk the dog and pray, 
and it's true on a Sunday, the altar is where transactions with God occur. You want my simple definition of what an altar moment is? An altar is simply this. It's the place of a transaction with God. You and God had a transaction. The Almighty, the Omnipotent One, the Holy One, the Creator, ominous, awesome, and awful, all rolled into one powerful being, and then me. And we had a meeting. And there was a transaction. There was a conversation. There was an exchange. The altar is a place of transaction with God. We bring our guilt, we bring our sin, we bring our evil, and we stand before God, we kneel before God, and we exchange that for God's declaration. You're forgiven, you're righteous. Jesus has died for you. Go in peace. And you meet at the altar, whether it's on a Sunday or on a Thursday afternoon, and you leave changed. It's at the altar where we bring our hurts and our losses, and there's a transaction with God. God declares, I redeem you. I heal you. What that husband said to you that cut you so deep, be healed. That loss, that hurt, restored. And you stand up more holy, more alive, and more whole than you were when you came. It's at the altar that we have the transaction where we bring before God our possessions, the things He's given us, His blessings, and His gift. And in a world that says, I don't have enough. I want more. I wish I had what they had. Why is my life this way? At the altar we say, here's my sacrifice of thanksgiving for what you've given And we take what the world puts on us as selfish and greed and we stand up change with a spirit of praise and joy and thanksgiving because God is good. It's a transaction. It's a moment of exchange. We take our loves, our dreams, our gifts, our talents, and we lay them before God. All of these burdens, all of these desires, all of these hopes that we want to control. And we say, God, I lay them at the altar. I dedicate them to you. And we stand up free to let him direct our paths. The altar. There's a deep danger in our lives if we build faith on the stage and the seat and not the altar. Three things happen at the altar. All month of June, we're going to talk about these three things. We're going to go deeply into each of these three. Number one, we fix things. God fixes things. Say, fix things. We come to the altar because things are broken and they need fixed. We're broken. Somebody else is broken. Somebody broke us. We live in a broken world. We come to the altar to exchange what is broken for what is holy and righteous and good. We go to the altar to celebrate things. Say celebrate. In a world that is diseased with greed, you come before the altar 
and you lay down and celebrate the good things God has given and you stand up with a spirit of praise and a spirit of joy and a community that is enjoying the goodness of God together. Fix things, celebrate things, and finally, number three, we dedicate things. An altar is a place of fixing, celebrating, and dedicating where we say, God, here is what you've given a beautiful young girl, a call to ministry, a vision and a dream, a husband, a son that has walked away from God. And we say, I dedicate it to you. I can't dictate. I can't control. I can't make this do what I want it to do. So I dedicate it to you. And the burdens of life to control come off our shoulders and we live for the glory of God. The altar is the place. Say it with me. We Okay, that was your cue to say fix things. I didn't set it up very well. We're going to go through all three. I want you to have these in your head all month of June. We fix things, we celebrate things, and we... That's the altar. Here's a brief video that's going to talk about the first of those fixing things. We'll go into detail next Sunday, but I know many of you may not have a clear picture of why in Scripture did God establish an altar, a place of death and sacrifice where a transaction is made with God. The first of the three reasons is the one we think about the most, to fix things. Let's watch this. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice, but there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it. So this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. 
In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant, and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people, and his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. If you're in a life group, um, our life group notes for this Sunday has the link listed to that video. Maybe we can share that on social media. We'll share some other videos in the coming weeks. But that captures the altar of sacrifice that Jesus, uh, as the ultimate sacrifice for our ransom, he died 
to fix things. And we come to the altar to accept Jesus in a transaction, our guilt for God's righteousness. What are the three reasons we go to the altar? To fix things, to and to dedicate things. Let me talk briefly about those before we close. And we'll go into detail in the next several Sundays in June. One, to fix things. You go to an altar Tuesday morning before God, sitting at your kitchen table. You go to the altar while walking the dog and having conversation with the Almighty to fix things. Because our lives need fixing. Our lives need constant cleansing and renewal and purification. Sometimes we need fixed because of what we've done. And when we come to the altar, we're reminded of what we've said, what we've thought, how we behaved. And if God deals with us in a private altar on a Thursday afternoon, when the sin is little and the seed is small, God can wash it and purify us so we don't walk into the death traps of life. We spend time at the altar to fix things because we need fixed. Sometimes somebody else has sinned against us and there's a guilt relationship. And that needs to be repaired. Someone hurt us. Someone sinned against us. And we are indebted or someone is indebted to us. And we come to the altar to be restored, to be healed. For that debt to be repaid by Jesus who promises to rebuild and restore our lives. Sometimes we go to the altar to fix the mess in this world. That video captured well the pollution of sin in a society. It's quite possible for a community not to have... I'll go there next week. Just most of the social ills in our country have their root in that kind of sin. Where society has become corrupt. And maybe you're living in a community where the current reality isn't sinful between people. But there's a long history where the land literally cries out for justice. And so you may be wondering, why is it so tense? Why is it so broken and twisted? Because there's a lot of sin that hasn't been redeemed. And it's in our culture and in our communities. Let me give you an example. On July 21st, remember that date? Say that with me. July 21st, right? We're going to be out here, going to have a great time dedicating a piece of our property for God's work on our campuses. It's going to be a lot of fun. Families will be here. I think we're going to bounce houses and food, and we'll be laughing and talking. But imagine we're in the middle of this great church party. Everybody's having fun, and I'm getting a little tense because we're almost out of hot dogs. And I'm getting frustrated. Our staff didn't have the right plan. We don't have enough hot dogs. And I'm getting anxious. And I'm getting a little angry. And I find Pastor Ryan. And I put my hands on his shoulders. Ryan, quick, go to the grocery store. Get some more hot dogs. And Pastor Ryan jumps on his bike. You guys know he rides his bike. 
here at a church, right? So Pastor Ryan gets on his bike and he pedals his little legs and goes over to the jewels, right? He buys a bunch of hot dogs and he's got them in his pockets and his bags and he's riding his bike, steering with one hand, trying to come back to please his angry and irritated pastor. And he comes around the corner and everyone's watching now. They know Pastor Joel sent Ryan on his bicycle. Here he comes into the parking lot. You know, he's got hot dogs everywhere and he's trying to ride his bike and he wrecks his bike. And all the hot dogs go tumbling into the parking lot. And now they're all ruined. We can't use them. And everyone is concerned about Pastor Ryan. He's skinned his knee. He's all bloody. And I'm screaming mad. He ruined all the hot dogs. And I start yelling, Ryan, you idiot. How could you ever do that? You're ruining the whole event. And I walk over and I kick his bike and bend a bunch of spokes. Now, there's a lot of sin to clean up. What's happening to all the moms and dads and families when they're enjoying their conversation and they're watching me scream in the parking lot? What happens to the whole crowd? We all go silent. Pretty soon, mom's like, you know, it's about time to go. And everyone's loading up their kids. Party is over. All the joy of Jesus dies. Have you ever been like that? Ever been in a family meal, everyone's having a good time, then two kids start fighting? And pretty soon, next thing you know, mom's up from the table, dad's like, fine, and the whole meal is over. What sins need to be cleaned up? Well, me, I sinned against Ryan. I need to go before the altar of God, make my confession, have Jesus cleanse my heart. There's a sin between me and Ryan, isn't there? I owe Ryan a debt. I embarrassed him, hurt him, and damaged his bike. In the Bible, I got to buy him a new bike plus 20%. I owe him. Not just what I took, but more. And that relationship needs restoration. But the community was sinned against too, wasn't it? Suddenly, all the joy of the Lord is gone. And now we're all tense and uncomfortable. Jesus' presence isn't ruling. Anger is ruling. Why do we go to the altar all the time? Because things need fixed in our families, in our marriage, in our workplaces, in all of our relationships between us and God, us and people, and us and the world. Jesus must constantly fix what's wrong. So we go to the altar. We celebrate things. Anyone notice that America has an anger problem? We're angry. People driving on the road are angry because they can't get to their place fast enough. And how ironic is it that we live in like one of the most efficient transportation countries in the world. We can get from A to B faster than anyone else ever has on the entire planet for the history of humanity. And we're mad when it takes us an extra 30 seconds. We live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and we're mad when we don't think we've gotten enough. America doesn't have an anger problem. America has an altar problem. When you come to the altar in a spirit of thanksgiving, the fruit of my lips giving thanks to you, I bring to you a sacrifice of praise God for what you've given me. 
I got into my 2013 Kia today, pushed the button, and drove to church. Is it the nicest car in the parking lot? No, but thanks be to God it works and it got me here and I'm in a great mood because my God has provided for all of my needs. When America leaves the altar, we become selfish because it's at the altar that we celebrate things. So on a Friday evening at a family event, when you say, man, I just want to give thanks to God for this food, you're coming before the altar to say, I bring you a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, offer continually the sacrifice of praise, your mouths giving thanks to God. You come to the altar because we are cursed with selfishness, but it's at the altar where you say, yes, there's some bad things happening in my life. Yes, I have needs. I'm waiting for God to supply, but I bring you thanksgiving. I lift my joy with praise. And in a community of faith, we lift our voices and we're encouraged and we're built up and God changes the world, not in just seat and stage, but at altars of celebration. We have altars of dedication. Dedications. When we recognize that what we've been given by God, we have tremendous responsibility for. Today, young Audrey, Jeremiah, and Leslie, there is no greater responsibility than to parent. And there are certainly seasons where we feel incapable, overwhelmed, lacking wisdom, not knowing the direction. We're saying, God, you've given me this responsibility. How do I do this? It could be a call to ministry, to serve in some children's ministry, to serve as a youth leader. And you're like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know how to solve all the problems. I don't know how to fix all the conflicts. I don't know how God can have me do what he's called me to do. That's why you need an altar of dedication where you say, God, I dedicate this to you. This is really yours. I steward it. I'll do my best. Give me the wisdom. And the burden comes off our shoulders as you dedicate to God what you think is yours, but it's really God's. And you, at a moment at the altar, remember, it's not my ownership. I am a steward and God will help me. That ministry dream, that passion, the gifts and the talents and skills, everything that you think, this is mine. I've got to control it. I've got to use it. I've got to do it all the right way. No, I just dedicate it all to you. It's all yours. You carry the burden and help me to steward my responsibility in it. Does that make sense? When you live your life just in the seat And watching the stage, you miss the altar where things can be fixed, where things can be celebrated, and we can be thankful again, and where we can be reminded that this is really the Lord's. And life becomes lifted. Your job is less of a burden and more of a ministry of joy. If you neglect the altar or you're ignorant of the altar, all you have is the participation trophy. You attended the wedding. If all you have is the stage, you stood there and 
did some repeat after me things, but it's at the altar where the transaction between you and God takes place. Not with a piece of furniture, not with an object of decoration, not just on Sunday morning at the end of a great sermon, but every day in your day-to-day life. Here's what Romans chapter 12 says to us. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's altar language. Present your bodies as a sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, don't be, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And this is the goal for all of us, to discern what the will of God is. God, what is your good plan for my life? What is acceptable to you and what is perfect in your sight? I want to live that, don't you? Okay, three of us do. All right, okay. I want to live what is good, acceptable, and perfect in the eyes of God. I want to be blessed. I want to make Jesus smile. I want to stand before him someday and they say, man, Joel, you did, you did pretty good. I'm happy. You pleased me. You did my will. There are three commands in this brief text. Here they are. Next slide. To present your bodies. That's a command. You have to do it. Second command, don't be conformed. Third command, be transformed. Three commands in those little couple verses. Two of them are ongoing, always happening. It's almost like you don't even notice it's going on. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. This undercurrent of your life pattern, ongoing. It's a present imperative. It's a present command, always happening at every moment. But one of these three commands isn't that way. It's choice by choice, decision by decision, moment by moment. And that's the verb to present. It's a command. Present. Not ongoing, oh, I'm always at the altar. I'm always just at the altar of God. No, you're not. Moment by moment, over and over and over, you're at the altar. It's like a teacher with their students. All semester long, I want you to learn. To learn would be present imperative. We're going to learn the whole time. To do so, you must read the book. Read doesn't just happen on and on. You open the book, you read the book, and you close the book. The altar is like that. Over and over and over. You kneel. You pray, you have a transaction with God, and you get up and live your life. You come back to the altar, have a transaction with God. You have that moment, and then over and over and over and over and over. The three commands. Next slide. Are you at the altar over and over and over to fix, to celebrate, and to dedicate? Not just once a week. Not just if something really, really bad happens. Oh, no, i got to come to the altar. Make the altar a daily moment with God to fix, to celebrate, and to dedicate again all the things God's placed under your stewardship over and over. Here's my questions before we go this morning. Our ushers are coming to hand out some cards, and the worship team is coming back for a few moments of music and prayer. Are you at the altar over and over 
and over. Maybe you need to be at the altar to fix things, to fix every thought, every action, every motive, not allowing anything to take root in your life that will be disruptive of God's best, to fix things. The sins that you've committed, the sins committed against you, the sins in our environment that are clinging to you, the language, the abuse, the, the, the hurt, all the stuff that just clings to our minds and our thoughts to be purified of them. Are you going to the altar to celebrate, to be intentionally thankful, offering praise and thanksgiving to God? Are you sharing the goodness of God with your family, with your friends, with your life group? Making an altar of celebration a communal event where we all express our thanksgiving for God's blessing on one another. Do you need to be at an altar of dedication? Your call to ministry, your service to the Lord, your job, your career, your education, your family. Offering again in a moment of dedication to God. If you have this card, let me walk you through it. We'll do this each week that I'm preaching about renewal daily at the altar of God. Do you have your cards? Wave them at me. All right, let me walk you through this. Where is a great spot for an altar in your home? This morning or this week, fill that out. For me, it's a little green chair just off our kitchen. That's where I spend time to daily have a transaction with God. Where is it in your home? You need a place, whether you call it a prayer closet, whether it's in your living room, your kitchen, where is it? Where do you go to daily meet with God? What's the good time? Pick a good time. And then think about this. What do you think is the most urgent altar visit need for you this week? To fix something? I've got to meet with God to fix some of these things going on. I need to meet with God to celebrate the goodness that he's given me. Maybe you're at a time where you're feeling the pressure, a lack. You're becoming a little greedy or jealous. God doesn't seem to be supplying your needs. Go to the altar. Offer thanksgiving and celebration to the Lord and it will turn your faith around at the altar to dedicate things, your loves, your life, your dreams, your family. Then why did you choose that one? List a few of the things that maybe God needs to fix or you need to celebrate or you need to dedicate. And then there's these little check boxes at the bottom. A good goal. Man, hit five out of the seven days. Six out of the seven days or seven out of seven days. I had a moment at the altar of God. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today. Over the next handful of minutes, the front is open. If this is the only altar in your life, that's not enough. But it needs to be one of them. Over the next couple of minutes, if you need to have a conversation with God to fix some things, to celebrate some things, or dedicate things, this place is open. Why don't you come this morning?
you're here and the moment you need to have with God isn't about celebrating it's not about dedicating it's about fixing the most fundamental relationship in your life it's not about you and your kids it's not about you and your spouse it's not about you and your boyfriend or girlfriend it's about you and your creator it's about you and God there is an altar that God has prepared and upon it Jesus his son laid down his life and died for mistakes, your rebellion, your anger, your rage, your foolishness, Jesus gave his life to be a transaction, an exchange, his death for your life. He took on the punishment of God so you wouldn't have to. This morning, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never said, I accept Jesus' death in place of mine. Then I want to give you that opportunity this morning. You may need to pray with me today, and this is that most pivotal moment for you to come to that altar to have God fix the sin problem in your life. Would you bow with me across this room? And if you're going to pray with me, and you're going to come to the altar in prayer, would you lift your hand and say, I need Jesus to fix the sin problem in my life. Would you just lift a hand before God? And we're going to close in prayer together. Thank you. Are there a few more? Yeah, a handful of us. Awesome. All across this room, let's lift our voices loud. Dear God, thank you for giving me an altar, an altar where I can come and offer you my sin, offer you my guilt in exchange for the love of God. I recognize today that Jesus died for my sin. And I offer my life to follow Jesus. Forgive me. Teach me to follow you. Amen. Let's just give God an appreciation and an honor up to him. Would you just clap your hands, raise your hands to him. Now, come on. I mean this to be serious. Don't go through the motion. I want you to cry out, say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for what you will do. We want to come after you, God. We never want to just go through the motions. We cry out to you in Jesus' name.
We want you to have that image as you go today. What is the altar? For many of us in this room, it might be the first time we've ever had anybody who is showing us what the point of the altar is today. It's not just those animals. Now it's about through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to come to the altar and be altered, to be changed. Many of the things said today, we want you to not only remember it, we want you to live it. When you go through training, it's what you then do out there that makes the difference. This is training. This isn't just all of life. This is training. This is celebration. This is the work then to go out and live it. At the altar, we're restored. I mean, do you understand the weight of that word, to be restored? At the altar, we can be healed mentally, physically, spiritually. At the altar, and the altar is not just here. This is one of them. Wherever you go, your car can become your altar. Maybe you have a long drive every day. Make it an altar. Pray out. Cry out to God. You have a place at your home that's an altar where you are crying out to God. Live it. Walk through it with him. When we leave the altar, we become selfish. 